0: And welcome back to another edition of the Godfather and Gorney podcast. My name is Dave Barry, producer of the show. I'm gonna welcome in uh, the stars of the show, the Godfather Mike Farrell and National Recruiting Analyst Adam Gorney. Uh, make sure to tune in and check us out each week on Rivals.com and on iTunes. You can leave us a review. We got a lot of positive feedback after the first episode. Our friends over at The Commitment Issues, our coworkers, they gave us a lot of love too, so we appreciate that, guys. I'm going to turn it over now to Mike Farrell. We're going to get right into it and talk about this past weekend's game. Let's start with the biggest one: Oklahoma and Ohio State, Mike. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of or it was kind of slow there in the the first half, but then o- Oklahoma really got into their groove and, and found their way in the second half. Um, give me your g- just general thoughts on that game.
1: Yeah, it was ugly for Ohio state and it was a very impressive performance by Oklahoma. And, you know, I had picked Ohio state to win the national championship based on, you know, uh, projected improvement by JT Barrett, throwing the ball down the field based on Kevin Wilson, Ryan day, uh, you know, uh, with their tempo offense and, and being able to do a lot more things to put him in position to succeed. Uh, I felt the running game would be good. The offensive line and wide receivers were a question mark and I felt the defense would be outstanding. And, and honestly, none of that happened. I mean, the running game was okay. Uh, Barrett looked horrible. He was no threat to throw downfield. Uh, Oklahoma was able to play much closer to line of scrimmage than, than, uh, expected their pass rush was awesome. And I think the biggest surprise to me was, the Oklahoma offensive line just handling that vaunted defensive line of Ohio state, which, you know, Greg Schiano said is the best defensive line he's had, including the one he had at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They did not look like an elite defensive line, especially when you compare them to Clemson. But I think Oklahoma needs a lot of credit here. Um, you know, Ohio state has been the subject of a lot of articles, including mine as to how disappointing they were. Um, but, but, Oklahoma really came out and, and, and had revenge on their minds.
2: Yeah. Not only the Oklahoma offensive line, but a big 12 team finally has a defense, Uh, you know, that back seven, those linebackers were all over the place. Caleb Kelly had a big game and then, you know, Ohio state's offense couldn't do anything. And I think it was really exposed. JT Barrett seems more uncomfortable than ever, which is weird because you'd think he'd be as comfortable as ever. But those receivers can't get open. They can't get separation. Um, Mike, would you now pick Oklahoma as a uh, Final Four team over Oklahoma State, or do you still think that they could, uh, that the Cowboys could beat them with that offense?
1: I think it's going to be real close. It was close, you know, when I picked Oklahoma State to win the Big 12, Um, you know, and the question marks I had were surrounding, you know, replacing two tremendous running backs and and obviously uh, a great wide receiver. But C.D. Lamb looks like he's going to be a star immediately as a freshman, and uh, the running game was solid, um, with, you know, uh, Trey Sermon and, and Abdul Adams and, you know, they look very, very good. Uh, you know, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how that defense does in the big 12 schedule, you know, because everybody spreads it out. They have better passers, but, um, I, I think you have to consider Oklahoma right now, one of the top, you know, two or three teams in the country. Um, I think Ohio state should have slid outside of the top 10, uh, I don't see a way Ohio State uh, wins the Big Ten the way they look. I mean, you know, it wasn't just JT Barrett. They looked poor in many, many aspects of the game. The linebackers didn't uh, tackle well. They they didn't get proper depth in their drops. Uh, They were able to complete passes uh, down the middle with ease. The secondary is young and does not look strong at all. And the defensive line was a disappointment. So if you expect the defense to carry things, if they make a change at quarterback or if they fix the offense i don't know if you can expect the defense to carry things either
2: and there seems to be this thinking and i, I don't know how true it is that urban really has the reins on on kevin wilson calling plays and you know i mean he's a fine play caller he was a, a good coach at indiana but you know thinking that he was going to just come in the, come in there and kind of be a world saver and the offense was going to be clicking on all cylinders it it seems like Urban has the uh, the constraints on him. It'll be interesting to see if he allows that to let it go. Um, he's been known to be tough on assistant coaches throughout his career, but uh, you know you bring those guys in to, to run an offense and to kind of revolutionize things. And I thought at Indiana they were just not showing all that they had. They kind of run and ran into a buzzsaw on a Thursday night game. They still pulled away at the end, but... They, they did not have anything going on against Oklahoma, and it doesn't look like they have much to show. So it'll be interesting to – they'll rebound and they'll be fine and they'll have a good season, but uh, I don't know if we're talking about one of the best one or two teams in the Big Ten anymore.
1: And I thought also, you know, the tempo would, would be there. You know, Ryan Day is a Chip Kelly disciple, and I thought they were really going to go up-tempo. But what do you need to be successful up-tempo? You need success on first and second down. You need to complete passes. And, and you know you need to get the defense on its heels. And when you have a successful first down run and then you have an incompletion on second down, up tempo doesn't work. you know um and when you're working against the chains quite often with a quarterback that that hasn't been consistently accurate downfield, you can't work up tempo. So you know, I counted on Kevin Wilson's offensive scheme, and I think Urban Meyer is dictating the offensive scheme more than we thought. And, and, and Ryan Day with the up-tempo, and neither of that's happened.
2: Let's talk defensively real quick. Do you, do you think they're reading the headlines, the front seven, and thought they were just better than everybody? Because Oklahoma's offensive line is fine, but there's no reason for a Big 12 offensive line to come in, come in there and push those guys around so, so easily all night long, too.
1: I think Oklahoma's offensive line is better than we expected, honestly. I think, you know, I had some question marks about it because, again, in, in, a, in, a, in a spread offense – everything is a little bit different. So when you go against a team like Ohio state, which has good edge rushers and powerful defensive tackles that can collapse the pocket, you expect those guys uh, that are used to more finesse blocking, not as much power blocking, or at least not as much tight quarter blocking. I mean, obviously Oklahoma ran the ball very well and, and those offensive linemen were good run blockers last year, but you're talking about tight quarters in, in the trenches, uh, smash-mouth football, and I think a lot of people expected that defensive line to just dominate them, and it didn't happen. So I think we have to give credit to the offensive line of Oklahoma. They might be a lot better than we think. Uh, Ohio State's defensive line might be good, but I think the Oklahoma offensive line could be special.
0: Well, Mike, you talked a little bit about you know make, maybe making a quarterback change, and I'll let you guys debate this, but it seems like it's kind of an interesting time right now. They've got Army and UNLV coming up now would be the time it seems like if you were going to make a quarterback change let uh let uh Dwayne Haskins get in there or or our favorite Tate Money Martell but let them let them get in there for that those two games would be a good time to bring in a new quarterback at the same time if you leave JT Barrett in he's probably going to do okay against those two teams um so what do you guys think about you know possibly making that quarterback change
1: they won't do it. Um, I think he'll put up good numbers. I think they'll dominate those teams and then we'll see another issue down the line, whether it's against Penn state or Michigan or, or somebody else, um, you know, in the big 10, I, I don't think they're going to make that change. I, I don't know. I, mean, I haven't seen Haskins, you know, obviously since high school, he hasn't had a lot of opportunity to, to show what he can do in college other than in practice and, and, you know, uh, scrimmages. So I don't know if he's, he's really the solution, Uh, personally I think if they want to win the national championship they want to go to the playoff they want to win the big 10 A quarterback change is needed uh, and now is the time to do it but I don't think they will
2: the most loved player on a team is the backup quarterback because everybody complains about the quarterback and all the faults he has and everything else but do we really think Dwayne Haskins or Joe Burrow or Tate Martell can go in there and really you know Revitalize an offense that struggled for two weeks. I don't. I don't think so. I think you stick with Barrett. You work the offense against you know our, the the next five weeks really, at least four, um, are pretty easy for uh, for Ohio State Army UNLV at Rutgers. You know it gets a little tougher with Maryland and at Nebraska before the bye week, and then it really ramps up into the later part of the season. If, if Barrett struggles against Army, if he struggles against UNLV, then we could probably have this discussion. But, uh, you know, you get those other guys prepared. But I think you stick with Barrett. He's a guy that took him to the playoff last year. Um, He's struggled a little bit early in the season. I don't know why. I don't know if that's just discomfort with the new offensive system, with the new coach, with Wilson, with Meyer trying to run things too much. I don't know what it is. Uh, they'll figure it out. I think they still might be in contention for the college football playoff um, because they have a bye week, they get Penn State at home, they go to Michigan. Um, I I don't think they're out of it yet. And and I'm sure Urban Meyer will be able to figure something out in the next month of of pretty easy games.
1: They they're probably not out of it. I mean Oklahoma obviously lost two games early and, and made a push at the end of the last season and obviously you know came up short. Two losses is tougher than one to overcome. I think the problem is that the smart coaches are gonna pop in the tape of the Oklahoma game. And there's the blueprint on how to just absolutely dominate the Ohio State offense. Um, it's right there in front of everybody. So the good teams that they play will know how to defend him. If I'm defending JT Barrett, I am making him throw the ball downfield, period. You know, And if he cannot beat me that way, which I don't think he can, then they're going to lose. I think you will see some adjustments. I don't think Barrett ran nearly as much as he should have when they realized that he couldn't, you know, be a threat to throw the ball on intermediate and long passes. Um, I think they really need to look at getting him, you know, a lot more touches in the running game and maybe even doing a quarterback, you know, by committee deal here. I mean, you know, use Barrett, uh, you know, differently, um, He's a really good runner. We know that, Um, you know, maybe put him in a situation where he's he's not the quarterback at times and he's taking jet sweeps or, you know, be creative with him. But if he's your starter and he's the guy that's going to have to throw the ball, especially if you fall behind, he's not going to he's not going to win games for you.
2: There's ways to mask this, though. I mean, teams have won with bad quarterbacks before, you know, the short game. Uh, you know, you run, you, the, the the thing that Ohio state has that a lot of other teams don't is they have Mike Weber and then JK Dobbins to run jet sweeps, all kinds of different things. So they just don't have to throw the ball down the field, uh, to make Barrett look good. Um, they have some talented outside receivers, they have big guys on the outside and so they can get them the ball and move, move the ball down the field like that, um, Something tells me Urban Meyer and Kevin Wilson have spent a lot of time in the office. I don't know if Shelley Meyer is happy with how much time Urban has spent in the office this week. I know he signed an agreement that he'd only spend eight hours a day at work, but uh, you know, I think they're going to figure this thing out, and uh, they're not going to let this talented of a team kind of wither away into the season.
0: All right, well let's let's get on to the other or another big game out of several big games over the weekend. Uh, Clemson and Auburn. Clemson's defense holding Auburn to to just six points, and that defensive line uh, is this a team that's that's going to be you know hard to beat defensively?
1: It looked like it. I mean, you know, I thought losing Deshaun Watson would really keep them out of playoff contention, uh, but that doesn't look to be the case at all. I mean, uh, they're they're got a serviceable offense. Um, they've got playmakers that are emerging uh, you know, Ray Ray McLeod and guys like that. Um, the offensive line is is solid. Uh, you know, they made a few mistakes here and there and and they didn't put up a ton of numbers, but that defense is ridiculous. Um, you know, the defensive line, whether it's the ends or the tackles or even some of the guys that provide depth, they're just dominant at every level. And you can tell how much fun they're having and how much they they know that they can dominate the other team. I mean, Auburn has a very good offensive line and they just toyed with them. And you know, Jared Stidham is 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 not the savior if he doesn't have a clock in his head and get rid of that football because there were double digit sacks, many of them on the fault of the of the, the offensive line, but a lot of them were like get rid of the ball, you know, just get it out of your hands. So I worry about the wide receivers. I worry about, you know, the running game if you get Petway to have to run laterally, he's not nearly as effective, and I worry about the clock in Stidham's head. So But that Clemson defensive line, absolutely outstanding. And that defense right there is what I kind of expected to see from Ohio State. And I didn't. A young secondary, but a really good front seven. Uh, Clemson showed it against a a good team, and Ohio State didn't. So Clemson, definitely a national title contender.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you hold Clemson to 14 points, you expect to win the game. And I think that's going to be the best defensive front that Auburn's going to see all season, including Alabama. I mean, they're just completely dominant up front. And that allows their guys on the back end to be a little bit more aggressive uh, because they knew they knew Jarrett Stidham had no time to throw the ball. He couldn't see. He had to get out of the pocket. Uh, the offense was breaking down. And even with a big bruiser in the backfield, they, they couldn't really even run the ball. And Auburn's offensive line was is impressive. Uh, but when they're going up against a Clemson front like that, uh, but the guy I was impressed with is Kelly Bryant. I, you know, I was expecting a, a, a big drop off from Deshaun Watson. Um, it is definitely there, uh, but he's going to get better throughout this season. He's a phenomenal runner and a really good game manager. He doesn't make a ton of mistakes out there for a guy who's in a, in a big time situation early in his career. So, um, yeah, I, you know, you look at Florida State against Alabama week one. Then you look at Clemson against Auburn, week two, and I I would take Clemson as the as
0: definitely the top
2: team, especially with Francois out now in the ACC.
0: Yeah, they seem like a team, you know, with all the talent they have and the talent they have coming in. You can go to Tiger Illustrated, our Clemson site, and look at their commitment list. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, Xavier Thomas, all these guys. They're going to be a team, you know. I think uh, for for a few years that'll be prime for a national championship. But looking at the flip side of it, um, you guys. Uh, had an article on rivals.com talking about Gus Malzahn. Is he on the hot seat? Uh, I'll let you guys debate that right now.
1: I'll let you start, Gorny, since uh, it was sort of your article.
2: Yeah, I would say I would say no, um, but with a little asterisk because Auburn fired Gene Chizik into his second season after a national championship. So uh, the expectations there are uh, unreally high. Um, it's hard to. It's hard to say how high they are, especially dealing with you know the big brother Alabama winning national championships all the time. Um, based on the performance Saturday night, obviously disappointing in the fact that they couldn't move the ball. Um, but I think this is a good Auburn team, and I actually think Malzahn has the team going in the right direction. Does he and Chip Lindsay need to figure out ways to get the ball out of Stidham's hands quicker? Absolutely. Um, does every pass need to be a bomb down the field? No. So those are the things that they need to work out. And this might be another control issue. I, I'm not so sure that Malzahn is really giving the playbook to Chip Lindsay as much as some people uh, might want to believe. And so we'll see as this goes forward. When you lose by eight points to the national championship, to, to the national champions at their place – and everybody is incredibly disappointed and think their coach should be fired, that's unrealistic expectations. And so that's what Gus Malzahn is facing this year. Um, but, I, but I think this is a very talented team uh, that can continue winning, and I do think that they can compete against Alabama late in the season.
1: Yeah, they, they got to fix a lot of things on offense. The defense looked great. Um, you know, I thought they played very, very well. And, you know, I think the reason his seat is warm – is because he's an offensive coach and the offense has been the problem. And whenever you hire an offensive coach and the offense isn't doing well, um, you got a problem. Um, cause then everybody says, well, why'd we hire you? Um, you know, why are you the guy in charge? And, and again, last year they lost to Clemson and the criticism was that he played, you know, musical chairs with the quarterbacks and couldn't decide on a guy. And that's why they lost to Clemson in a close game. And this year, you know, obviously they have their guy, um, but they did not put him in a position to win. Whether they underestimated the the strength of the Clemson defensive line, I don't know. But after about six sacks, make an adjustment and, you know, again, get that ball out of his hands a lot quicker. Um, and they didn't do that. So if they don't make these improvements, you got you got to look at some of the defenses they have to face. LSU's defense looks nasty. Alabama's defense we know is nasty. They have Georgia across division. Their defense looks nasty. So, you know, those three games alone could get ugly if they don't fix this.
2: Yeah, Auburn's defense was phenomenal, I thought, Saturday night. They really controlled the game early. Our boy Jeffrey Holland coming off the edge there a bunch of times. Um, But, yeah, I mean, you know, Auburn moved the ball early in the game. Uh, You know, they moved it inside Clemson territory a bunch had to settle for field goals and you wonder what happens in that game if Auburn can punch it in and go up 14 nothing instead of six nothing because Auburn was beating Clemson early in that game and they look up at the scoreboard scoreboard and they're only up six nothing. And that really has to feel like a disappointment.
0: Yeah, we'll see how they as they uh, how it goes as they move through the, the SEC. So um, now what about Georgia? big game against Notre Dame coming out with the, the one point victory. Um, tell me about their defense and and what you guys like about them.
1: Defense looks really good. I mean, they were all over the field. Um, again, Notre Dame, I think, has some offensive weapons. They got two very good uh, offensive linemen on the left side. They got a good running back. I Bush is a good, she's a good quarterback. They did a good job of of keeping him in the pocket. Um, you know, running to the football. They looked fast, explosive. Uh, I think the defense is is going to be one of the better ones in the SEC. Uh, the quarterback situation, you know, we're we're going to see. I don't think Fromm, you know, looked overly impressive, but he's a true freshman. Uh, we'll see when Eason gets back how he looks and if they have to rotate and go back and forth or whatever they do at quarterback. That's a big question mark. But when you've got three very good running backs and it's three now with DeAndre Swift getting carries uh, and, and Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb, a strong running game and a strong defense uh, could be and should be enough to win the SEC East. Uh, so I think George is making the proper strides. It was a close game. I liked what I saw from Notre Dame. I mean, this didn't look like the four and eight football team from a year ago. I know they lost a lot of close games last year, but this was a team that took punches and gave punches. Uh, their defense isn't overly talented, uh, but they hung in there and, uh, I think they're going to get better each week.
2: Yeah. Uh, Georgia's front against Notre Dame's Excellent offensive line was impressive. And really, if, if not for a Terry Godwin, you know, top 10 sports center catch in the back of the end zone, Notre Dame might have won that game. So uh, impressed by Notre Dame. I think their offense is fine. Uh, and, and their defensive front, which was considered their weakness, I thought handled themselves well against an SEC opponent. Their back end, a bunch of scrappy guys that want to make plays. So like Mike said, four and eight last year, Um, whether that was Brian Kelly out fundraising too much, like he says, which is a completely ridiculous excuse. (laughs) One of the worst things I've ever heard from a football coach who makes millions of dollars say he's fundraising too much. and He can't coach his team. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think a team, um, that is definitely headed in the right direction. A guy who's on the hot seat, uh, probably didn't handle himself as well as he could have after the game. Um, but uh, you, know, can, can definitely turn four and eight into eight and four, and nine and three pretty quickly this year.
1: I don't think he knows how to handle himself after games, and, and their schedule is just brutal. Yeah. I mean, it's just brutal every year. I mean the, the refusal to join a conference, and I know they've got to deal with the ACC and all that other stuff, but my goodness, you, you look at the schedule and it's just there, there are so many difficult games for them. And I, I, my hat's off to him. It's fun to watch. You know, but when you've got to play the teams they have left on their schedule, um, you know, and and your second game is is Georgia, um, that's just not easy. There aren't a lot of automatic wins you could just sort of check off and say, well, they're going to win these games for sure. So at least they're going to be seven and five. Um, There's a lot of teams that can beat them left on this schedule. So I don't see four and eight, uh, six and six. Is six and six get them fired? I think it does. So we're going to see. But they're a better football team than they were last year.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I credit them for for doing what they did. They could have scheduled Georgia Southern instead of Georgia. You know, they they go to Michigan State. They go to North Carolina. They have USC every year. Miami, Stanford. You know, this is incredibly difficult. Um, This isn't Fresno State going to Alabama. Uh, This is Georgia coming to Notre Dame. And so, you know, every single week – um is is a challenge for them and so i credit what they're doing but i agree with you six and six gets them fired um
1: but, but look, look at these look at these teams i mean you know boston college stinks miami of ohio they should beat uh wake forest they should nc be. state is yeah, tough state navy's is tough, tough to, to they're yeah. a good team my, my, to navy navy always gives them problems miami is tough then he then you throw in stanford usc north carolina at michigan state i mean it's just it's a very difficult schedule. Every year, though, this isn't different. So let's say they beat BC. Let's say they beat Miami of Ohio. So there's three wins for them. Uh, let's give them Wake Forest at four. You can't give them Navy just because of what the problems they've had with Navy. But let's give them Navy anyway. So that's five. So then you got to beat North Carolina, which doesn't yeah. look that great. USC, which looks very good. NC State, which is not a bad team at all. Miami, Stanford, you got to win a couple of those to get to to seven and five and it's seven and five
2: is the sun bowl it's not exactly you know the competing for a college football playoff
1: no and again i think this is a team that will beat boston college i think this team that can beat michigan state no problem can beat miami can beat north carolina i think the losses on here that i see remaining are usc uh miami and stanford so there's three so if that's eight and four that's really good but you know notre dame's going to play down to one or two opponents for sure and make things more difficult on themselves. So if you give that plus two minus two win, uh, factor, then you're talking possibly six and six. And and then he's gone, possibly gone.
0: All right. Well, let's go move to the West coast for another big game over the weekend, USC and Stanford, USC's offensive line and run game looks real solid. Uh, tell me what you guys think about them going forward.
1: Go ahead there. West coast.
0: Yeah, the the interesting thing is uh,
2: USC's you know didn't look great against Western Michigan. Um, looked awesome against Stanford, but Sam Darnold's not playing, you know, really up to what he played last year. So, um, you know, they're doing things with Ronald Jones, who looks absolutely fantastic. He is so fast with the ball in his hands. They talk about Bryce Love being fast. Ronald Jones looks like he's on fast forward. Uh, compared to Bryce Love but Stephen Carr has been good I think as the season continues those young receivers um, you know Stephen Mitchell obviously a veteran guy but Tyler Vons Michael Pittman all those guys uh, will look continue to look good and can kind of continue to gel with Sam Darnold Um, so they really went over a big hurdle this week in in convincing fashion by beating Stanford the way that they did Um, and and really if you look at their schedule it's kind of shaping up to possibly being undefeated during the regular season and then going and playing Washington or maybe even Oregon in the Pac 12 championship to get to that college football playoff. But, uh, you know, I think USC is doing really, really well. Uh, I think the defense is, is playing all over the place. I love the secondary, how aggressive Iman Marshall and Jack Jones have been, especially on the corners. And, um, you know, after losing a lot of talented players from last year's team. Uh, they replaced them pretty quickly and uh, and looked very solid this past weekend.
1: And the defense was the, the important part here because the defense did not look good against Western Michigan, and they looked much better. And they're you know they're replacing some key guys. Obviously, uh, they're young and talented, and I think they'll get it you know better every week. They should reload, though. I mean, some of the guys you're you're mentioning, you know, Jack Jones, Iman Marshall, on and on, John Houston they are all five-star guys. I mean, yeah. they should win the Pac-12 every year, period. End of story, bottom line. The fact that they haven't been able to do it, you know, obviously under Kiffin, they had sanctions and they had depth issues, but there's no excuse for them not to win the Pac-12. Um, and I don't think there was an excuse for them not to win it last year, except for the fact that they picked the wrong quarterback who looked, by the way, horrendous against Penn State. And will yes. never, ever, ever live up to his five-star status. And is one of those things where I think back on it, and I'm like, yeesh, what did we see? Why didn't we see this? And Max Brown is just unfortunately not a very good college quarterback. But Sam Darnold is, and uh, this is a team that's loaded. Now, again, USC traditionally will play down to a couple teams. So undefeated, that's going to be tough. Some of these teams are horrendous on the schedule. I mean, they should be, they should beat that Texas defense pretty soundly. They should beat Cal. Uh, Oregon State looks awful. Arizona State and Arizona are not good football teams. you know. So who is going to beat them? Uh, I think Washington State will be very interesting on the road. I think Utah is always going to be a tough out. I think Notre Dame is going to be an interesting game. I think they'll handle Colorado, and I think they'll probably handle UCLA, even though Josh Rosen is a better quarterback than Sam Darnold. I believe uh, they just don't have the talent around them. So... At the very least, one or two losses this season. Anything anything more than that would be a huge disappointment with the talent that they've got.
2: Yeah. Uh, boy, Max Brown does not look good. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Pitt. I mean, Penn Horrible. State's defense uh, w- was in his face and crushed him, but he just doesn't.
1: Well, you remember him in 7-on-7, seven seven, how slow his release was and how methodically he looked at the Yeah, and, 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 and then, you know, the the decision-making, the decision-making, it's just
2: so slow, and by the ball comes out when the receiver's already out of his break, and I just thought that that would be able to be cured on the college level, and uh, I have to admit, that was a miss.
1: But the film was great. I mean, he, they was play. he's played out of a spread, and he's getting the ball out so quickly and making great decisions, and again, it's... It's a horrible Washington competition, you know, but then even, even at the army bowl, he didn't look bad. Yeah. But I remember watching him at our first five-star challenge and watching him at the opening. And I'm like, you want to talk about a guy without a clock in his head and and a bit of a slow delayed release. That was him. So when we were evaluating max Brown is like, do you believe what you see in these, you know, underwear camp seven on seven settings, or do you believe what you see in pads? And, And in this case, it was right in front of us, and we didn't believe it because of how well he did in game situations, but man, that just never improved, and it's kind of sad to watch because he's such a nice kid.
2: Yeah, there, there was always a rumor when uh, when Max Brown was in high school in Washington, and at that time Sark was the coach at Washington, that he wasn't even recruiting him, he didn't believe in him, and he, he took Troy Williams that year, who ended up at, transferring to Utah, but it seems like he might have had a a better idea on uh, Max Brown's potential because he, you know, obviously was wrong quarterback at USC last year, and now at Pitt uh, as a grad transfer, just doesn't just does not look the part. And even when I think his name is Denucci came in and had to run the ball when Max Brown split open his head when the Penn State player tackled him without a helmet on, uh, uh, he even looked like he could move the ball, and I think he scored. So. Um, you know, I, I think a change might be coming to Pittsburgh. We'll see, but Max Brown doesn't seem like the guy that can kind of outscore
0: ACC opponents this year. No, well, you guys don't miss often on your <laughs> on your. Um, I know. Your I like training. to point out when we do miss because yeah, yeah. it's so rare.
1: Oh, please. Yeah, well, and, and I'm
0: sure that the, everybody on our message board lets, lets <laughs> you guys not, know about it. It's too. not as <laughs> rare as you think.
1: It's just it's not as rare as okay. it is. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, let's let's move on to another Pac-12 team. You know, they they almost had the Texas A&M UCLA repeat of, from last week, where they had the big lead and and uh, let Nebraska back in it. But is this a team that, that's going to you know compete in that Pac-12 North next year? <laughs> yeah,
1: you go ahead. You go
2: ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think uh, you know. I think this is a very talented team. I'm surprised how talented Justin Herbert is at quarterback. They can move the ball. Um, you know, as well as anybody. So it's going to be interesting to see if they could just outscore people because they were up 42-14 before they basically shut it down and headed to the locker room and just let Nebraska do whatever they wanted in the second half. But uh, with Royce Freeman, uh, with some talented wide receivers, um, you know, they, they're it's going to be interesting to see if they're just going to try to outscore everybody. But um, I think they're probably better than Stanford from what I saw this week, Keller Christ, um, is not a quarterback that scares me throwing the ball down the field. Um, uh, but Washington, you know, continues to be the cream of the crop in the PAC 12 North. And I think that's going to be the toughest out for them.
1: Well, the defense is so young too. I mean, there's a lot of guys on that defense making plays that either sophomore or freshman. I mean, Thomas Graham had a great game, but he's a true freshman and Troy Dye is their best player. He's a sophomore. So I think that's why I say a year away, because the defense needs to catch up to the offense. The offense is very impressive. Um, you know, I think they'll be in some shootouts this year. Uh, but the reason, you know, I wanted to talk about them is because I think, you know, Taggart has them on the right track. And I think next year they're definitely going to be back to, you know, Oregon competing for a Pac-12 title. And it should be fun. Can somebody tell me that what I'm missing? Because all I saw were a bunch of tweets on how what a great pro prospect Tanner Lee is. <laughs> what a, what am I missing?
2: Were those tweets from at CJ Husker and from no. Nebraska rules? It's
1: like, I think Feldman said it. I think some other college football writers said it, that they really impressed with Tanner Lee, big kid, big arm. I'm like, well, yeah, but 19 of 41 with four picks and a 12.2 QBR rating is horrendous. And, you know, I get it. He's got size and he could throw the ball, but what am I missing? I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, he's the reason they lost the game.
2: Yeah. Um, you wonder if Nebraska looks to Jebby or, or, you know, O'Brien or someone, I don't see that Nebraska team really making much of an impact in the big 10. Um, like you said, Oregon's a young defense and for, you know, at least a half before Oregon shut it down, they couldn't do anything on offense and they were getting blown off the field and their defense looked very average. I mean, Oregon's speed just blew right by him. You had a walk on Brendan Schooler, who has, transition from safety now to wide receiver you know moss and people in the end zone and uh you know the reality is nebraska is a fine football team but they're not big 10 contenders and as much as the fans want to think that it's just not true i mean it was shown this weekend uh i credit them for a second half revival uh, but that game was over at halftime when oregon almost put 50 points on them
1: luckily for nebraska you know they got Northern Illinois, they got Rutgers in Illinois in their next three games, so they're going to be, you know, obviously they're going to be four and one. Then they hit Wisconsin, Ohio State, so there's two losses. We assume uh, Purdue should be a win. Northwestern has played horribly so far that I think they're better than they're playing. Yeah. And then it ends with Minnesota, Penn State, and Iowa. But what if they go six and six? Yeah. And then that that fan base, which is you know a really really active fan base, rabid fan base they're going to go nuts because any step backwards, <clears throat> you're going to start hearing about Bo Pelini won nine games every year and got fired and yada, yada, yada. They they really needed that Oregon victory um, because then they could have jumped out 5-0 and and been a top 15 team going against Wisconsin and created a lot of excitement. Uh, now they'll be 4-1 and with four wins over horrendous football teams. And uh, it looks like a power running attack we'll just destroy them because Royce Freeman was having his way with them as well.
2: Yeah. This is a team that started the season, you know, battling Arkansas state basically to the final whistle and then uh, really kind of getting blown out at Oregon until the, until the, you know, until the comeback later on. So it's going to be interesting to see how Nebraska handles Mike Riley, who's a very nice coach. um, And, but, they, ex- they have certain expectations in Lincoln, and 6-6, uh, six and 7-5, six, and 8-4 and four are not those expectations. So we'll see how it goes as the season kind of moves through here.
1: And as we get into recruiting in a second, I want to ask you, um, Buki, did he have Nebraska commitment up on his Twitter profile and take it off? Do you know?
2: I don't know. I don't follow it that closely. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, no. I'm happy to say. Um, no. Buki is – Uh, definitely taking visits though. I talked to him after IMG played out here and uh, Florida is nonstop. He's going to visit Texas. Uh, He's going to go to Clemson and Clemson is really the interesting school, I think, because he's a kid who is definitely without a doubt, one of the best cornerbacks in this class, super competitive. And I think that culture, especially on defense with Brent Venables and all those coaches and how they've been winning, is gonna is gonna come after him really really hard. So, um, if I was a Nebraska fan, I think he has really a lot of built in connections there. I think that that's important to him, uh, kind of the loyalty and the the relationships he's built there. Um, but if he's looking to win national championships and be a superstar on the college level and play Saturday night on ABC and all that kind of stuff, you know, you look at Clemson as the school that may be able to creep in there as this kind of continues.
1: I didn't hear you. you were breaking up a little bit, but he was at Clemson this past weekend, right? Uh,
2: yeah, I think he was supposed to visit this that's, past that's, weekend. That's,
1: yeah, that's what I heard. I heard he was – so, I mean, watch that defense play, and it'll be real interesting. You know, you know what's going to happen, you know, because the kid's playing very, very well. IMG obviously had to cancel uh, a couple games and all that, but you saw him in person, how great he was. Um, you know, we had debated him for a fifth star. I'm not saying he's going to get that fifth star – but what will probably happen is if he does get the fifth star, he'll decommit from Nebraska the next day. <laughs> and uh, then the entire internet will explode and we'll be the worst human beings on earth. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can hold on to him because he seems to be, I don't know if he had Clemson commit up on there previously. He doesn't have it now if he did. Uh, but there seems to be a little bit of panic going on with him. And, you know, that sort of transitioned just to Justin Fields a bit and his visit to LSU Um you know, I, I, I think it's interesting. he visited LSU. I don't know if they're a real player, um, but man, his recruitment is coming down to, it's reminding me a little bit of Tebow because it's getting so late or Terrell Pryor. It's getting so late that he might take this right into December, um, you know, and, and, have us all guessing as to where he's going to go. Now with Tebow, we knew he was going to go to Florida. Only the Alabama fans thought he was going to Alabama and with Pryor. We knew he was going to Ohio State. It's just that his dad wanted to go to Penn State. With Fields, we have no idea where anybody wants him to go. So LSU was an interesting visit, and they are now a player.
2: Yeah, and, you know, honestly, he won a lot of games, but it was kind of where quarterbacks went to die uh, and, and receivers, and, you know, they ran the ball all the time so much that I don't think if Les Miles was there, Justin Fields takes a look. But with Ed Orger on there, and especially with Matt Canada there, with his reputation as a guy who, you know, only not only develops quarterbacks, but really puts up huge numbers as an offensive coordinator. And then you look at the depth chart. Um, that's kind of been my reservation with Fields, with the depth chart at Georgia, um, you know, from Eason to Fromm and then him. Can he hurdle those two guys and play right away? Because I don't think Justin Fields is a guy who <clears throat> wants to sit around, you um, He has the ability to come in right away and be a superstar. Uh, LSU could be an intriguing option because, you know, Ed Orgeron will build an offense around him. Matt Canada will put it in place, and he's got to beat out Miles Brennan and some other guys. And I think he can absolutely step in day one and be the most talented quarterback on campus. I mean, LSU has problems if a Purdue transfer is the guy that they're going with now. So they need a quarterback Uh, They have the skill players around them to make it happen. And so it's going to be interesting. I don't, I wouldn't count out LSU at all.
1: I think if Justin Fields goes to LSU with the way they recruit, uh, we just did an article today on, you know, SEC players on NFL rosters. LSU leads the entire college football world with 50 players on on NFL rosters. The way they recruit the home state advantage they have, Justin Fields goes there and pans out. They win at least one national championship, but I still don't think he's going to go there. But if he does, I think he's the guy that can can break through for them. And we got to wrap it up. So let's talk real quick. Micah Parsons, the five star who used to be committed to Penn State, just like Justin Fields used to be committed to Penn State, goes to see the Buckeyes, who many think are the favorite, and they get destroyed and embarrassed. Do you think this factors into his recruitment?
2: I just don't understand why a guy from Harrisburg, you could go right up the the interstate, right to State College, beautiful college town, bucolic, some would say. And and uh, and why you wouldn't go to Penn State and play for one of the best defenses in the country. But honestly, no, and, and I'm kidding, but I don't think it matters at all. If anything, it looks to Micah Parsons like he could step in right away and have an impact. And uh, with a lot of five-star guys, that's what they care about. They don't care if they go to a game and the team that they want to go play for loses. They see it as an opportunity for themselves. And so, uh, you know, I definitely think Ohio State's the, the team to beat for him uh mike like you've said larry johnson's connection to him is huge playing for urban meyer is huge uh those guys put a lot of guys in the nfl and that's what micah park is, Mark, micah parsons sees more than ohio state losing oklahoma
1: i agree and i think he'll be back for a better experience too because the problem with the loss is it, it's a horrible experience you know the, the pregame's great and college game day's there and all this other great stuff but after the game Everybody's depressed. Everybody's bummed. The locker room sucks. The parties aren't as fun. The girls aren't as pretty. Everything sucks after a loss. So, I think he'll get back there on an unofficial visit for a big game. I think they'll win. He'll have a good time. He'll probably end up going there. Um, you know, there's other schools involved. Obviously, Penn State's still involved, Alabama, Nebraska, some other schools. We'll see. I think he also will play this out for quite some time. Uh, but it certainly doesn't help that they got crushed. But uh, again, I don't. I don't think it's going to be a major factor. And we got to wrap it up because guess what? We have, as always, uh, a conference call coming up.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get out of here. Let's let's remind everybody. Don't forget, you can find us on iTunes. Leave us a review. That that helps us out a lot. You can find us on, on rivals dot com and each of us on Twitter at rivals mike at adam gorney and at real dave berry. So with that, we're going to get out of here and we will see you guys again next week.